0: And I want us to realize that there is something tremendously exciting in front of those of us who know Jesus. And these passages of scripture, and there are three I want to read, underscore this. One of them is terribly well known, and in fact they all are, but I'm not going to um, read the whole chapter. That Philippians 2 chapter where it speaks of Jesus humbling himself uh, and, and being born as a man and then dying on the cross... And then ends with those tremendous, tremendous words at the end of the uh, second chapter uh, of the Philippians, where it ends with those words that there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Tremendous, tremendous truths. uh, Another reading that I want to bring to us is from... The great chapter on resurrection, that 1 Corinthians 15 chapter, tremendous truths in this chapter. But I want to go to the very end. There's been a lot of explanation, sort of thing that one would normally read at a funeral. But at the very end, there's an exciting uh, climax to this chapter. Uh, And you're going to be there if you know the Lord Jesus. You're going to witness this incredible occasion. Uh, it it says to us here Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for since death came through a human being the resurrection of the dead also came through a human being and then it goes on to describe the the, the coming again of Jesus and those who are dead in Christ coming with him then the end will come when he that is Jesus listen to this hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. There is, among evangelicals, sometimes an excessive emphasis on the individual salvation that Jesus won for us. And and that's exciting and tremendously important, and that in-gathering that we're all responsible for being involved in. You're all harvesters. It, 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 but, but Jesus died for more than that. He died to reverse the fall. He died to bring a whole cosmos of righteousness and hand the whole thing back to his father. Eden restored, if you like, and much more. And much more. The fall reversed. And then Jesus takes this all this is what I won for you, Father, at Calvary, and for you who are here, uh, the, the, the recipients of my grace, and he hands the whole thing to his father. What an exciting prospect. Uh, and it's that great ultimate harvest that I want this morning to have us excited excited about and then a final reading that I, I i want to bring and this one is from the uh, the the epistle of john right at the very end the third chapter of john 1 where he says this what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of god and that is what we are the reason the world does not know us does not understand us is that it didn't understand him Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we will know, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. Wow. For we shall see him as he is. In other words, he has a body, now flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. But we're going to be given a new body, like unto his glorious body. And that body has been designed for eternity. I mean, it's exciting. And I hope we are excited. All of this God is delivering in Christ. This is the message we have for a lost world. Not just you can be saved, but you can be part of a, a wonderful cosmic revolution. And and the, the, the wonderful things are to come. It really is so exciting. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Now, let me confess something. I have delivered a similar message to this before. Not the same, but similar, not identical. But I'm not returning to it today because I haven't had time to prepare. Grant gave me plenty of notice. And I promise you, I haven't been lazy before God. But I believe this is what God wants me to pick up this morning. And, 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 and you know, particularly whenever I followed the praise that Suzanne, I just see the finger of God in this. Because he wants us, yes, it's one, harvest is great, and the wonderful harvest of the fields, and the, the joy of the good gifts that God gives us, they're great. But I do believe God wants us to look further today. And he wants us to recognize that we are all harvesters, leading to that great ingathering that one day is coming. So I'm returning to this theme today because I really believe God wants us here. I want you to go out of here excited as a people with a firm, firm hope in a world that is growing in despair. Uh, I know that some of you heard the story. I'm mindful of Ban Ki-moon's question last autumn to Dr. John Upton, President of the Baptist World Alliance, where the, the, the Secretary General of the United Nations looked at John Upton full in the face. And I was privileged to hear this from Upton's own mouth, and there's at least a few others here who were there on that occasion. He looked him full in the face, and he said, Dr. Upton... Do you believe that your God is going to restore righteousness and justice to this world? Wow. And Upton looked back into the eyes of the Secretary General of the United Nations and said, With my whole heart, sir, I do. Then said the Secretary General, Will you pray for me? Wow. Will you pray for me? A man who could have had any of the world leaders the Dalai lama if you wish but he wanted prayer in the name of jesus that he might act wisely he doesn't make a claim to be a christian but that he might might act wisely in the councils that he's responsible for in, in in this world isn't isn't it isn't it wonderful with all my heart i do and we are called to mirror that confidence that confidence in jesus It's true that our Lord Jesus Christ came and lived and died and rose again in order to give us this wonderful process of redemption. But he wants us involved in declaring this message. And he wants us to be excited about it. Because, you know, you can only convey a product to someone else if you believe in it yourself. And if, if there's one thing I want to do this morning is simply underscore the joy of what we have in, in, in Christ. He seeks to involve us in this exciting cosmic project that Upton was so excited about as he spoke to the Secretary-General of the United Nations. Now let's see, We've, we're, we're, we're trying to see if this... Oh, it is, it's working well, thank you. Thank you so much indeed. Only a silly person would begin to read a book in the middle. And yet, inadvertently, isn't it true that we often maybe switch on the television and there is the middle of a film or a play and we can see this particular scene but we're not sure how it got to this point. And it would be similar to open a book and just start in the middle. But for millions of people... Can we get it into our head? For millions of people, this current earthly scene is, is rather like that. They are unaware of the, the big picture. They, 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 they don't see the big picture, but you have been let into that big picture. They, they don't know the, the mega narrative, the, the huge story that we know starts with that phrase, in the beginning, God. Now, I know that's debated nowadays, largely thrown to the side by many, many, many people, perhaps the majority, that God made everything that is tangible and visible out of that which cannot be seen. Young people, by the way, for some celestial physics, sometimes read the third verse of Hebrews 11. Tremendous verse, which tells us just that that God made that which is seen, or that which is invisible, and as you know, nuclear physicists are coming to that conclusion now, 2,000 years later. Uh, but it's their God, in the beginning, God. Uh, and we hold to that fundamental truth, but we also are convinced that history is moving inexorably towards a, a, a climax that has also been determined by God. Wonderful story. That climax when every knee, as we said, will bow and every tongue confess. When Jesus hands over what we've been reading. The kingdom that he has won, that he has redeemed, that he has reclaimed when he hands it back to his father. The die is cast. And, and you are familiar with that big picture. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob has given his word. We can be sure of this. The sort of readings we had there. God's guarantee is on that. And the thing is that we're commissioned to explain it to those who don't see the big picture, to those who are unfamiliar with this big picture, who really don't understand, how did we get into this state? And and, and we, we can talk about the fall and explain why man is in this condition, and yet we can also talk about the not yet the exciting truth that we will be let into through his word. And, you know, the, the, the now is insecure if you don't know Jesus. The not yet is tragic if you don't know Jesus. I hope you do this morning. I hope you know this Jesus of whom we've been singing and who gave us this guarantee and who won this victory that you and I might know salvation and be united to God and have a part in this cosmic drama. I only met this book within the last year but Maurice Sinclair who is a lecturer in the Alexandria School of Theology in Egypt and a former Anglican bishop of northern Nigeria and although I don't know the man personally I have met him he married my son and his, his wife, uh, Ross, that is, and Sonia, he, he married the pair of them because Sonia had been born in Argentina. But Maurice Sinclair has written a book on philosophy, a book called, uh, I think the, the, the title really is Paths to Wisdom. But it's written by a very fine thinker, but a man who compares the wisdom of mankind with the wisdom of God. And that's the line he takes in his very excellent philosophical book. But he starts, he sets the scene with this verse from Genesis, where God says to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. And what Maurice Sinclair points out, that as a consequence of that... Mankind, down through the centuries, has been in two streams. The rebellious stream and the redemptive stream. The rebellious stream and the redemptive stream. And every one of us was part of the rebellious stream. But through the grace of God and the witness of friends and and the prayers of friends, because Charlie told me, he prayed for your father for those 11 years. (coughs) But from the, for the witness of friends and the prayers of friends and the testimony of friends and, 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 and from a variety of mechanisms, God has brought many of you, I hope and pray all of you, out of that rebellious stream into the redemptive stream through repentance and faith. Wonderful. He's transferred us from one to the other, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. And as a consequence, thereafter, we find ourselves in occupied territory. After that transfer, we find ourselves in occupied territory, alien to our new redeemed status. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. The usurper has set up his throne in the rebellious stream. He has set up his throne. The Bible even tells us that very clearly. He, he, he dominates that stream and that whole scene. So don't be surprised when public opinion is hostile to so many of the truths that we hold dear. It's to be expected. Don't be surprised that our Lord Jesus Christ is sidelined and his claims are set at naught in the context in which we're living because the rebellious stream dominates. And that's what the Bible said it would. We have an historic faith. faith, Young people, we have a faith that can stand scrutiny. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Our faith can stand scrutiny. It's well-founded. It's personal. It was never meant to be a private matter, nevertheless. We have to share it. And one of the briefs I was given by Grant was the, the desire that there is in the leadership and the fellowship here at Grace to become not an inward looking fellowship but a fellowship that looks outwards with a great message to share and that's really what I want to pick up this morning Paul at the end of the book of Acts we find in that last chapter he is standing before the Jewish leaders in Rome and He goes very public with his convictions about the Lord Jesus Christ. Very public indeed. And he doesn't tread gently. He quotes from the prophet Isaiah. And he argues that nothing has changed in public opinion, uh, nor has it in our day, to what Isaiah found and explained to the, the children of Israel in his day. Nothing has changed. Hearing, never understand. Seeing but never perceiving. People whose hearts have been calloused. Paul quotes this from Isaiah in the first century. I'm quoting it. I'm no Paul. I'm certainly no Isaiah. But I'm quoting it in the 21st century. People hearing but never understanding. Seeing but never perceiving. People whose hearts have become Calloused. that's the nature of our mission field that, that, that's the context in which you're called to go and be a people of hope and convey this tremendous message in that sort of context it's not going to be easy it's not going to be easy the very DNA of our generation is resistant to Jesus doesn't want to know They've listened to the devil's lie. And no normal socio-political strategies for engineering a profound change in mankind are going to... They're none of them going to work. I mean, we have some fine politicians. Okay, there are some that we get a bit embarrassed with, but we have some fine who want the best for society. But as I say, no political, no political, social changes are going to work here. This needs the work of the Holy Spirit. You have within you, because if you trusted Jesus, remember, the Spirit of God has come to dwell within you. It's a good thing, you know, to take young Echu's advice when you're waking up in the morning. Good morning, Holy Spirit. You're with me. I want to go out today and I want you to, to use me. I want you to to energise. When opportunities arise, give me opportunities. Let me recognise them, Lord. And give me the grace and the wisdom and the tact to take them. God wants us to to reach out there. But he acknowledges and he warns us, you're going to find resistance. And, And normal political, social arguments are not going to work. It's going to need the power of my Holy Spirit to open eyes and to warm hearts. And I'll tell you something, God has taught me that in the pulpit. I'm not going to get emotional, I'm not going to fight it. It creeps up on you, doesn't it? Oh boy, a dog. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. But I'll tell you, God has shown me. Don't stand up there and think you can preach, brother or son, because without me, you can do nothing. And it's the same when you go and I go out to witness. You can't do it. You may have the most beautiful personality. Thank God for that. But only the spirit of the living God can warm hearts and open understandings to the truth. That's the nature of our mission. But do you care? Do you really want to reach out? Do you want to share? I believe you do. John Duncan's already been mentioned here this morning. I remember John sharing a dream that he has recurring uh, and that he finds most disturbing. And it's a dream, he says, where I visualize that great scene that's described in Matthew 25 where all the nations are gathered before God. And he has separated them on the one side the angels and we're told they'll do this, they will separate all those who are in Christ and all those who are not. And John says, I know where I'll be. I'm trusting Jesus. I'm over there. But over there I see someone that I knew well. And they're mouthing over to me. He says, John, you never told me. And he says it haunts him. You never told me. That should move us. Now, I know you, 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 you will, nobody will want your company if you're always preaching at them. But God gives opportunities. He doesn't ask us to make them or, 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 or engineer them or, or carve them out of debt. He just says, when I give you them, take them. And don't take them in the strength of your own ability. Take them in the strength of my indwelling spirit. I'll help you. It's hard to again say, you know, personal testimony. Don't use enough of it nowadays, even in, in pulpits. But I do urge you to recognize that God wants you involved. And there's a network of people who you have influence over. Who will will only see Jesus when they see him in you. Who will only hear the truth if you're prepared to share it. And we want God to open our eyes. Who are those people, Lord? In my networking experience, those people that you want me to share with. Do you know, we pray the Lord's Prayer very often. Thy will be done. I don't know if I've got a slide on that. Yes, I have. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's hypocrisy to play that. Unless you're trying to do it yourself. Unless I'm trying to do it myself. Lord, am, uh, when I pray thy will be done, am I seeking to do your will? Am I seeking to live in a way that honors you? Am I, am I seeking to take the opportunities when they arise that I might share these great truths? Have I got that prophetic voice where simply I am your spokesperson in situations? God wants you to be. There are folk that you can influence more than anyone else. Don't underestimate the importance of your witness, fellow child of God. Don't underestimate people that you want and God wants you to share with this is the great commission as i say that that we're we're called not only to share but to demonstrate to live in a way that people want to know what is it about you that's different and i know it's difficult and and there are some of you saying oh hadn't you know are you going to send us out with a guilty no i'm not i don't want to put a guilt complex on you i got worried with that when i was a younger man god will never ask you to do anything that he doesn't equip you for. Don't try to do things you're not equipped for. But he will hold you responsible to use the opportunities he gives and the gifts you have. And in the end, we need to remember this. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. We're we're simply, he wants, will you become a tool in my hand? Will you let me use you? Because I assure you, he wants to. And he has gifted you. Uh, the battle is the Lord's. We 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 can take tremendous courage from that in the amazing economy of God. He acknowledged the Bible tells me weak, his strength is made it's made perfect in our weakness. Wow. Isn't that encouraging? It's when I think I can do it, that's when I'm at my weakest. When I feel inadequate. And unable and cry out to God in my weakness, that's when we experience strength. And you know, I saw something of that in Charlie Dunlop at his weakest, when he could barely speak. There was a real evident strength in his confidence in Christ. And I'll make some brief reference to that this afternoon. But I found visiting Charlie Dunlop at his weakest a faith-building exercise. Really did. God was in that room. God was in that room. As I say, we're not expected to distort every situation in order to get the gospel in. We're meant to be good listeners. Listen to find out where people are. Show that you're interested in them. But you know, Cranmer, Thomas Cranmer, some 500 years ago said, the gospel has got to be proclaimed in a language understood by the people of the day. And in this postmodern generation, people don't so much care to know whether it's true or not. They want to know, does it work? Are you changed? Are you different? Then they listen to what you have to say. We've got to demonstrate it. We've got to demonstrate it. We've got to incarnate in these lives of ours the life of Christ and and, and a recognisable counterculture to the dog-eat-dog world that's out there. And that's what grace is all about. That's what grace is all about. Always be prepared, says Peter, to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have always be prepared so the challenge is simple we are seen as a people of hope, are we? I hope so a people of hope, the praise was great this morning Suzanne, thank you but you know it's exciting isn't it we have not going to sing these things with enthusiasm, we have to go out there and demonstrate to folk that this is real, we're not just singing in the dark we believe these things and want to go out and, 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 and live as people whose confidence is in the future that we share with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a future that is. The best is yet to come. We're going to be thinking a lot about that day. Death has indeed been swallowed up in victory. It is the last enemy. Don't underestimate it. Grieving and weeping are, 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 are normal and acceptable. But when the chips are down and the dark days come, does our hope shine through? Can people see that our anchor holds? And we've seen that in the last few days through one we love. That's when folk will will listen. When they will, will, will be stirred to listen and ask questions. Are we ready to give an... My, my mother, now sometime in, in, in heaven... She never preached to anyone. She was a pretty quiet woman. But her own simple, confident walk with Jesus was obvious to all who knew her. And when people hit dark days, the door would knock, could you speak to your mother? And people would want to have her prayer or her counsel. They saw the hope that was within her. And they wanted her to share some of the source of that strength with them. That's what we need to do. We need to be there. We need to be like that. Let's ensure that grace fellowship is—it resonates with hope. Not only in here, but this is grace fellowship collected. Then we've grace fellowship dispersed. You don't cease to be grace fellowship when you go through that door. In fact, that's where the rubber hits the road. And that's where people want to see the reality of all the things that are are, are being done within these walls. They want to see the reality of that. And people, you know, Coca Cola and McDonald's, and Betty's going to worry, where's she going now? Uh, uh, (laughs) Well, you know, I live with this dear woman, and she's my main and uh, and most helpful critic. But, but I mean, Coca-Cola, and McDonald's—they they are an incredibly successful commercial enterprise. Incredibly successful. I, I haven't travelled very far in this world, but you know, wherever I go, they, they pop up. Whether you're in Hong Kong or Bangladesh or Bangkok, there they are. And it's not just their vast international advertising campaigns that has made them successful. You no, know it is—they offer consistency. Whether you get a Big Mac in Belfast or Bangor or Bangkok, a Big Mac is a Big Mac. It's consistent. Are we? Are we consistent? Are we consistent? Are we delivering in our lives what we promise in our gospel? People admire consistency. It's good evangelism. Let's recognize that. Are people attracted to Jesus as a consequence of meeting you? I'm not being critical. There's many of you I thank God for. Several of you I don't know, but some I do. I've gone away from your company and I've been blessed through having a conversation with you. Thank God for that. But that's what we want to pray for that when people meet us, they go away. You know, feeling, oh, that that was a wholesome conversation. That was a lovely person to meet. That they might begin to want to know, where's this coming from? Is this just that you're a nice person? It's more than that. I remember uh, talking to Bill Hawley, who was dying with motor neuron disease. Uh, And and he, he warned, he says, you know, Haddon, if people think you're a nice person, that's lovely. That's good. But don't take the glory to yourself. Somehow find a mechanism for showing them what has made you the person you are. And it's, it's got to be done with tact, or you sound like a bombast. Do you follow me? You know, you can't go and say, well, I'm a nice person because I'm a Christian, you know. I mean, that's just not going to work. But somehow, somehow we've got to get it through. Jesus has changed me. Jesus has changed me. When people ask you, why do you care? Because Jesus cares for me. Alma McAllister, and you've heard me quote it before, I'll never forget it, said it to me personally. I wouldn't say I knew Alma and Bill well, but I met them when Charlie Lutton had them to his home many years ago. And Alma said to me, Haddon, never tell anyone that God loves them unless you're prepared to love them for him. Wow. Wow. Never tell anyone that God loves them unless you are prepared to love them for him. We're God's workmanship, created in Christ. Betty has me conscious of the time. You'll be glad of Betty, by the way. But she has. She says, hadn't since you got this, you know, you have this. I'll stroke, carry on. You've lost your sense of timing. Well, okay, I'm trying to be good. I'll try and bring things to a close. Because some of you are going to have to listen to me later on today again. But you know, whenever I read this word, the the, the grace of God that offers salvation. Here's, oh, oh, sorry. Oh no, I'm really Well, that was taking us right to the end. That could be good. Yes, there's the one. Eager to do what is good. Isn't that lovely. That's what we're. That's what we're called to do this grace of god has appeared that offers salvation it 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 teaches us to say no to ungodliness and so on and then the verse in titus 2 goes on to say eager a people are his very own eager to do what is good You, you you see i don't i dare not preach a gospel of works I'm going to stand before God and so is Suzanne and many of you here on the sole basis of what Jesus has done. But then he calls us. What did he do? He went about doing good and he calls us to do the same. To get up and think, what good can I do today? Who is it that I can do something for today that's good, that will be wholesome and helpful? He wants us to be actively involved, a people eager to do what is good. That's good evangelism. We who are seeking to follow Jesus need to rediscover our distinctiveness. We're to live an alternative lifestyle. We're to swim against the tide. We are to embrace a counterculture. We are to embrace Jesus. We're to live like him, has it really got through to us that that's what God is about in you? He's making you, the Spirit of God within you is seeking your cooperation for you to become what Jesus would be like. Take the gender out of it. What Jesus would be like in your situation? I I, I know it's become a wee bit worn now, the idea, what would Jesus do? It's a great question. When you're faced with any crisis, any crossroad, any decision... What would Jesus do? That's what God, that's the way he wants it. And you can be sure of this. He's eager to do what, do, you need to turn to his side. I delight to do your will. I want to get there. I delight to do your will. I'm Going to point out later on today, that's not always going to be easy. Ask Charlie Dunlop. Was it any accident that he took cancer? Of course not. He had given us life over to God. There were no subsequent accidents in that. I delight to do your will. Just occasionally I have the privilege to sit in front of Essie Spence, still struggling with the loss of her husband and her two sons, and almost the loss of her daughter. And Essie's eyes bore into mine when I'm with her. And I know why. She wants to know how do you believe all this? Are you just playing pastors? And she'll say to me, it was cruel. And I say, yes, but God was in it, was he? And do you know what helped Essie? I'm crying out to God, help me, what do I say to this woman who's in pain? And I say, Essie, wasn't Calvary cruel? And she said, oh, yes. I said, "If you any doubt God was in it? No, no. The call of God is not an easy one. But he calls us to recognize where you go, I go with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll give you the grace to stand. And friends, that's real evangelism. Standing in those difficult situations. God will give you the grace. Live such good lives among the pagans that they may... See your good deeds and glorify your Father. Glorify God on the day he visits us. This is evangelism. You are harvesters. You are harvesters. I just beg you to go out there and recognize that. But to realize you're not left alone. The spirit of God is within you. The presence of Christ by his spirit is with you. He wants you to be eager to do good i never ask you to do anything that I won't equip you for. Be excited about it. And then we're going to share the most incredible future together, he said. And you're going to be able to look across when you're in this group of the saved. You're going to be able to look, oh, I pleaded with you. In fact, there'll be many in that group with you because they saw something of the beauty of Jesus in you. Harvest, Thanksgiving. Thanks for inviting me here your harvest service and forgive me if I haven't adequately picked up the traditional theme and it is important and I love traditional harvest services but recognize this that there is another harvest coming and it's going to be based everything on him him who died who rose again and who's coming back to take us to be with himself. The crowning day is coming. Be excited about it. But go and share the promise of it with those whom God has put into your network of friends. Lord, I just ask you to take these inadequate words and filter them through your filter, removing anything that was just the ramblings of Haddon Wilson. But, oh God, I pray, that we might catch the vision, that we're part of a great, immense, cosmic drama that's going to have such a glorious end. And we're going to be part of that. We're going to be there when Jesus hands the kingdom over to you, Father. Help us to be harvesters in the meantime and excited about it. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.